this episode, we're going to talk about conspiracies, what makes them good, what makes them bad, how the intel world uses conspiracy thinking to find the bad guys and do good things. At least we hope they're doing good things. We'll take a look at some recent conspiracies that are out there, easy to find, and probably some old ones too. See what their flaws are, where people go wrong with them. Maybe help you understand them a little bit more so you can be more of a critical thinker and figure some things out on your own, doing better research and analysis. A lot of these come from viewer questions that I am just compiling into this episode as I've thought about doing it for a while. So conspiracies, what are they? How are they bad? How are they good? How do we use them to our advantage? That's what we're going to talk about right here on Gray Man, Hiding in Plain Sight. So I am back from vacation, which was a good time. Nothing crazy happened, thankfully. Sort of, actually. Just to share personal information. Not that I ever share too much real personal information, but it actually didn't start out very fun. I was going home for the holidays, see my mother and some of her friends for Thanksgiving. I actually taught a preparedness class was up there, covering some basic first aid and trauma and some other things related to people in the age category and what they're looking for. Did some basic home preparedness stuff for cold weather and things with food and water storage, how much you should have, how to tell when stuff's good or bad, things related to power outages and what you can do in those areas for the part of the country they live in up in the Northwest. And it went very well. We had a lot of people there and they had a good time and enjoyed a lot of stuff. So that was fun. And it was nice because it was a free class. I wasn't going to make them pay for anything. But come to find out my mother, being in her age and high risk category, Sometime back, maybe a couple months ago, she had gone to the hospital, called me and my brother, let us know. They thought it could have been something pretty serious because she had a heart surgery maybe 15 years ago or so. Turns out that uh, she wasn't getting enough oxygen from her mask, so she's now medically exempt from wearing masks. So then as I'm packing up my stuff, I'm about 30 minutes from leaving. I just have a few more toys to grab, which I totally end up forgetting because she calls me. She'd been in the hospital. And she had some issue they thought was going to be really bad. Turned out it's manageable, but she was there for several days. I don't want to get into her medical stuff. But everything was good. Of course, I ended up there at the house, which I don't have a key to, trying to figure out how to get in. And thankfully, she had finally put in an automatic garage door. The house they had bought when she moved there didn't have that. So she had the key code I could get in the house. So I spent for a few days on my own, hanging out with my neighbor, who's a retired member from 2nd Ranger Battalion. And former army recruiter too. So we had a good time. His dog plays with my dog and that was all fun. So that was most of my vacation. And then we had Thanksgiving. Got to meet her new boyfriend. That's fun when your parents are in your seventies and they're dating. Creepy actually, but yeah, good times. So before we go into the conspiracy portion of the show, I actually need to answer a question because I told somebody I would answer it and when I would answer it, which would be today. So this guy named Dalton sent me a question I wanted to answer. The other questions I'll be answering the show, I'll just be telling you their questions because I've got more than one on the same topic from people, and most of them are really short and to the point. But this one was a little more specific. He says, I do have a question about blending in. Say a gray man was traveling with his family, pregnant wife, and two daughters, and got into a situation. Like being around the border of Mexico, say El Paso or Arizona somewhere, and was kind of forced into trying to blend into cartel territory, exclamation point. Say the car died or the wife was having issues and just so happened to be in the cartel territory. Would a gray man kill to keep from being killed and to protect his family? Like the cartels wouldn't let them leave and kind of force him into joining them. Would he and then have to kill or be killed or worse? This is hypothetical. I listened to the Sean Ryan podcast and was about the cartel and battleful territory. I was just curious if blending in would require killing or worse. Does this make sense? It does make sense, but we'll break this down. For those who don't know, Sean Ryan, former Navy SEAL, has a channel on YouTube. And I believe he has probably a website as well called Vigilance Elite. You should check it out. He does interviews with people. He doesn't do them like every week. They usually come out every two or three weeks. A lot of former white soft guys and other dudes are on there. And he's had different people. He actually has a very interesting one where he brings on somebody that's more far left thinking. And they talk about current politics, gun control, this kind of stuff. But you might like that if you're into podcasts. And it's one that you can watch. He has a nice studio he built there in his house. And I would definitely check that out, especially if you're currently a listener to anybody in that community. He's probably had them on or knows them. You know, like he knows all the never quit guys. 
and he knows Glover and Ritlin. He's a former SEAL, trains dogs, a few other guys, if you know those names. But there's several others. So you're, you're a gray man traveling with your family. You're caught in this as well. First, let's start at the first part of this. So typical story, you're traveling with the family. Your wife's pregnant. you got a couple girls with you. We'll assume they're at least younger, probably anywhere up to, say, 15. I don't know how old they are, but we'll just assume they're kids. And you're around the border of Mexico, so you're in cartel territory. So arguably, you can look at it just like terrorism, the way we map out territory. That's arguably a lot of that territory belongs to a cartel. It's how much activity are you actually seeing there. So it's unlikely that you would cross over in, say, Nogales or Tijuana, and you would run in those situations. You could. I mean, there's bad areas anywhere. Typically, you're going to be out on your own or in a small town. You probably shouldn't be in and didn't know any better. There are things that have happened and probably still happened in the past. When I used to get intel briefs on the border, one of the things we used to get notified about was traffic control points is what we would call them, TCPs. They would set up fake checkpoints and masquerade sometimes as federales, the Mexican police, and would actually be cartels that would rob people or whatever. And it was like the minor league guys. They were cartel guys but it was the lower level soldiers. It wasn't like the big guys. They were robbing people or I don't remember if anybody had got killed. I imagine somebody probably did. I don't think there was any kidnappings. And these briefs I was getting was back around 2009 to 2011. So I'm sure things have changed. But my first thing is to say this, to answer, I'm going to answer your question, but I want to put some things in context here. One thing about a gray man, I think I've discussed this on some of the shows is about preparedness. And I don't just mean like prepping. I mean like being prepared planning everything you do. If I was going to Mexico again, I would definitely get familiar with the area, the land, what cartel is where, how much activity there's been, what police reports there have been. So while anything can happen in general, unless you were forced into an area due to a vehicle being you know, broken or something out of the ordinary, like these traffic control points happen, more than likely a person in this situation may have already screwed up. They may not know they screwed up, but they may have screwed up by going wherever they're going or not traveling at a time they should travel or not checking even the State Department website to find out if they should be traveling there. You know, like from here in Arizona, people go down to Rocky Point all the time in Mexico, which is a smaller version of a tourist slash hangout town with nice beaches and people go there to go to the beach, go drink and hang out. They do it all the time. So you're, you're in the territory. Car died, wife has issues, whatever it is. Would a gray man kill from being killed to protect his family? I think anybody would or should do that. So I guess what I would say is it's unlikely there'd be a negotiation involved. You're in a foreign country with people that predominantly speak another language. We'll assume that you are in some sort of verbal discussion with them and perhaps even some of them can communicate very well in English and understand you. It's unlikely they're interested in what you have to say takes a lot of skill and savvy to even have that conversation. And most of the time, it's not going to be a negotiation. It's about how you comply with their demands while actually manipulating them, which would be very difficult to do. This is a situation where the best prepared person would be somebody who's gone through like SEER training, for example, who understands what could happen. Not the only training you could get for it, but it would be a very dangerous situation. But yes, if it came down to a situation where gunplay was involved, I would hope a person would do whatever they could to protect themselves. However, at the same time, I will say, depending on the situation, if you get surrounded by two or three vehicles and 12 guys pop out and it's your pregnant wife and your two daughters and just you, it's unlikely that any of you would survive that situation. You may have a better chance at survival going along with it. I'm not saying you should. I'm just saying that that's a possibility. The other thing, too, is how are you going to fight them? Are you going to go hand-to-hand? Because if you have a gun and you're in Mexico... Even if you survive that situation, they turn out to be cartel guys, there still could be crimes that you're violating. Like, why did you bring a gun into Mexico? That's a very serious thing that should be looked into. What I can tell you is cartels don't play around. They're not to be messed with. So, yes, the short answer is you would most likely do anything you could to survive, but there's so many variables that we don't have a total description of what's going on, and it's hard to say. We had that situation... Um, I don't remember the total details, but it was within the last couple of years about a family. I think most of them got killed, including a baby or got shot up. I don't know if any of them survived. I don't recall. But you could find that where there were three or four of them in a vehicle. And I think they all got killed by a cartel. We have no idea what happened in that situation. 
but it's unlikely most people could get involved in a gunfight and survive that. You know, cartels aren't going to show up to jack one vehicle with just, you know, like one vehicle and a couple of guys. That's unlikely. They're going to go with the numbers. They're going to have the weapons, better weapons than people in here randomly carry around, not to mention dealing with the whole situation of whether or not you have a gun with you. And if you did take a gun into a foreign country, you'd probably only have a handgun. And there's a lot of people that are skilled in tactics and the abilities to fight that would do better than the average person, but that doesn't mean they would survive it either. It's not going to be like the movies where you get some old movie with Steven Seagal and whatever movie where the guys come in and try to kill him and they kill his wife and then he breaks a bunch of bones and kills a bunch of dudes and goes after him later in the movie. That's not reality. So yes, I think you would try to do that, but there's a lot of situationally dependent stuff. More than likely to actually survive if you were greatly outnumbered and they had a lot of weapons like AK-47s. In order to keep yourself alive, you might have to go along with it. But there's downsides of that too. Like what happens to your kids, two daughters, probably end up being trafficked. So that being said, let's get into this conspiracies. So in short, to understand what a conspiracy is, it's when you get a group of people, make a secret plan to do something good, bad, or indifferent, whatever it is. And then let's say they succeed. Well, the thing is, look at conspiracy like a false flag. Most of the time, if they're successful or even have a chance of being successful, nobody even knows they exist. Now, you have conspiracy theories. That's different. That one's people think there's a conspiracy and they create a theory around it. And that's usually where the theories fall apart. See, one of the things you see on conspiracies is that no matter what somebody says, even somebody that's an authority or knowledgeable on the subject, somebody's going to come back and say that you can't really disprove it. Well, you can disprove a lot of them. I've done it recently, actually. You can disprove a lot of them. The, the thing is, is people see that as like the biggest hurdle when looking at conspiracy. But actually, that's a conspiracy's biggest weakness. A conspiracy doesn't need to be disproven. It needs to be proven. So when you put a theory together on anything, just think of writing a thesis paper or people that do theories in science and, hey, this is what we're going to try to figure out. They follow the steps to try to prove it. Most of the conspiracy theories out there when people write them, they don't do anything to try to prove it. They take existing events and emotional trends. So right now we have the election is the biggest one. And a lot of it's about political ideas, who's doing what. And they actually recycle or parrot previous conspiracies and ideas. And people believe them because they're already emotionally charged about the idea. They already have thoughts and feelings and opinions. So it's not that their conspiracy theories hold water. It's people that are going there looking for confirmation bias. That's why people believe them. So one example, I think this is the one that made me laugh, was Evan Hafer. Evan Hafer is the owner of Black Rifle Coffee Company out of Salt Lake City. Some of you may know who that is. Look him up. Try their coffee. It's really good. He is a former Army Special Forces soldier. He was also a contractor for the CIA doing security for some time. He's spent a long time training people and teaching them weapons training and different things like that while he was getting his coffee company up and going because that was his passion, right? So this thing came out, if you're not aware of it, about, I don't remember how this came up. It was so funny. How he had donated, and he actually did donate. He donated something like $500 to, I think, the Obama campaign during one of the elections, something like that. So everybody freaks out. And there's all these conspiracies, but, you know, they're like, oh, he's a left-wing agent, subversive guy, and there, there's other crazy or even stupid stuff. But here's where it falls apart, because some people say, well, you can't disprove it. And it's like, well, they can't actually prove it, but it's easy to disprove, because a lot of it's just logic. Like, why would a guy who has a career record of being conservative and very easy to probably prove he votes that way, living in a conservative state, showing conservative values... Right, he's not like extreme right-wing guy. He is pro-Second Amendment. I mean, he's got, I've watched his videos, he's got an archery range in the backyard of their main building. You know, he goes hunting. He was special forces. I mean, he hunt and killed terrorists for a living. Did it for the military and the CIA. He's got all this conservative stuff going for him. And then one time in band camp, he donates 500 bucks to the Obama administration, which he explained was a bet he had lost, right? Now, how how is it that he would be this subversive left-wing guy who's a secret agent 
He did all this stuff for years. And God knows what happened prior to the military life, what his life was like. And his biggest thing he does as a left-wing agent is to donate $500. Is that believable or is the bet believable? Some people think the bet's unbelievable. Let me tell you about my experience in the military. I've seen people bet on how many worms they would eat. We used to do stuff about, I can't remember what it was, three minutes or five minutes to eat the crackers out of an MRE with no water, which amazingly is hard because of how much it dries your mouth out. People would make bets during PT about who could do the most push-ups, who would run the obstacle course the quickest. People used to make bets based on the rifle ranges, who'd get the highest scores, who'd zero the quickest. All kinds of stuff like that. When we ran close quarters marksmanship, who'd get the highest scores, who would do it the fastest, who, you know, that's the guy who was going to buy the beer. I saw guys in Iraq, soldiers of mine, drinking that shelf-stable milk who could drink the most the quickest. And then they're throwing it all up like idiots. And I'm going, I should not have done this. Should never allow this to happen. They do all kinds of stupid stuff. So it's completely believable. Somebody would be like, you have to donate 500 bucks to the opposing political party when they're in a position where they have money. It's totally believable. I have no doubt that that happened. And that makes a lot more sense than saying, well, he's a secret agent who donated 500 bucks, you know. No, that's that's ridiculous. But that's just one example and shows how quickly people take an idea and run with it. Now, I think a lot of these guys were doing it for clickbait. Most of the guys that have channels that have followings are doing it for clickbait. Other people, they just sign on to it. They get angry whenever they see this kind of stuff. They get emotional and aren't recognizing they're biased and getting an emotional response to it. They don't look at it logically. And then people who don't think the bets are real probably never served in the military or not long, at least not in the modern military, I'll say the last 25 years, especially in combat arms where these things tend to happen. And I've seen a lot worse bets have to do with alcohol, things involving, well, I'll just call them relationships, but there's contests. Some guys know what the heavyweight belt is. There's a bunch of stuff like that that happens. That's so much worse than whether or not you donate 500 bucks to a political party. And that's where conspiracies like that fall apart. The biggest problem with conspiracy theories is people get upset, and that's why they write them. They don't put their due diligence in trying to find out if there's anything that actually makes sense about what's happening. So people take actual events, and then they come up with a theory, but they don't take the time to determine if the event that's happening is logical. Is there a reason behind it? A simple example is one recently that's floating around is about all the carrier strike groups being repositioned nearing the borders of our country, like defensive positions. Then it was only a few days later, they're like, oh, there's these Chinese warships. And I reminded people that this has happened before, and then people, but it was Russian warships. People are saying, oh, it's Russian warships, or they've said it's Chinese in the past. The thing I pointed out was the time of year when I responded to it. I said, look, I spent a long time in the military. Here's what's happening. People tend to, in most branches of the military, most jobs, do most of their last training events right before Thanksgiving. It tends to be what happens. They get a four-day weekend for Thanksgiving. Some of them will be gone longer. They will take leave. And they will be gone for, say, a week or 10 days. And then when they come back, they'll do kind of a reset, refit thing where they probably won't, most of them, go to the field or train that much, what we call going to the field, basically. Any type of training where you'd be gone overnight, we call it going to the field. They probably won't be doing that. They'll be doing room inspections and vehicle inspections and maybe some testing, like a PT test if it's due right now. They'll be filling out leave forms because we have what we call Christmas exodus, where mass amounts of the military get to go on leave. This is commonly known. It's not classified. It's not a secret piece of information. People in the military know this. It's widely known. Many units can have up to just 90% of people on leave. Most of them keep 10 to 20% around, and they do minimal manning, and they do part-time duty days where they get to go home early. Some are going to go home after PT. Sometimes they'll work till lunch. Some people alternate shift work. When I worked in an S3 shop, me and my officer rotated days. When we were there at the same time, I would come in one day and I would work all day and he would come in another day and work all day instead of taking half day schedules because we were running the operations for the unit and the commander and sergeant major and the XO were gone. So one of us needed to be there so that if anything happened, we could notify people and make calls. So we needed to be there all day. So the biggest reason all these naval ships are here is because it's Christmas. But then I also pointed out, look, this carrier strike group's over in Yokosuna, Japan. This other one's out in the Arabian Sea, been there on deployment for a while. And then since then, another one went out on deployment to do a last-minute certification exercise of some kind, and they'll be back probably within the next week or two. 
to do Christmas. I doubt it's a extended exercise avoiding Christmas time frame, but I don't know for sure because I don't know exactly what their training experience is going to be. And then I told people, look, if you know something the military talked to him, and some people on this forum I was following said, hey, talk to this guy over here. He's in the Navy. Talk to this guy over here. They say situation normal. This is what they do. And the thing was is that people that are coming up with these theories don't know any better. A lot of them, some of them know better, but they know what it's going to get them. It's going to get them those click-through rates. That's the problem with conspiracy theories. People get all amped up over things like the election and things they see about China in the news, and all those are becoming conspiracy theories too, and they're freaking out about this and that about China. The same way four years ago, the Democrats were freaking out about Russia. And then they see anything and turn it into something that's not. And then you get the people that don't want to listen who just say, well, they get a kind of a a bias, but cognitive dissonance, and it disagrees with their existing thought process, and they can't handle it because it attacks their ego. And they're like, well, you can't really prove that. You can't disprove it. It's like, yeah, I can. So this is where the theories fall apart, is people don't do their due diligence to find all possibilities. That's why when I talk about looking at information, you have to look at it from all sides. You have to go into it unbiased. You have to recognize where your emotions and feelings and beliefs and what you think facts are lie and then disregard them. And you have to look at it from all points. That's why when I talk about some of the stuff about analysis, start looking for the opposing point of view. Like if you really believed that the U.S. Navy was positioning people in a defensive perimeter around the country, you should go after the opposing point of view. What's a logical reason? What's a repetitive reason, as in this case, why they would do that? What makes sense about it? Easiest way to do it would be talk to somebody who's been in the military recently. They could explain to you, well, it's the time of year. It's Christmas. That's what happens. Now, while there's many to go over, I'm going to avoid this whole Dominion server thing in Germany with the CIA and Special Forces because that's ridiculous as hell. But one thing I want to point out about that one, it came up again, was they were claiming the 305th Military Intelligence Battalion, which is part of the U.S. Army, had done some work that verified things involving election fraud, et cetera, et cetera, and that they had people who apparently testified at like a state-level hearing of some type. This became this big thing, calling them that's what Release the Kraken was about, part of it because a retired general had mentioned this and some of his other craziness, which you can look up McKiernan and find out some of the things he's believed and said that have turned out to be ridiculous, not to mention his age, whether or not he'd have a clearance, and then apparently there's things out there claiming General Flynn has backed this up to some degree, which is astonishing to me because General Flynn did at one time command the 111th MI Brigade, which is over the battalions here in Fort Huachuca, including the 305th. And the 305th went to becoming a TRADOC unit around 1990-ish, so he would know better. But to cover it real simply, the reply I wrote to somebody, and let's see how I wrote this, but it had to do with the whole 305th thing. And what I say, the, okay, the reasons why this is kind of, whoever wrote it's full of it, three or fifths of training unit. They train 17-year-old analysts that have no deployable assets, access to high-side connected systems. That means high-classified active systems. Just isolated to the pre-formatted template and training scenarios. This is exactly why nobody should use these junk conspiracy sites as a source of information. Somebody responded to that, but then ended up deleting it. I don't remember what they wrote, but they deleted after I, if I after I wrote this. Um, I think they deleted. I can't see it. So whatever they said, I responded. No, nothing like that happens. If the army wanted volunteers, they'd go to a deployable unit that has experienced people. I think the question was, could they have pulled volunteers out of that unit? I said no. They go to a deployable unit that has experienced people. Because remember, three of us a training unit. So. In the Army, you go to basic training, and then you go to your AIT, your advanced individual training, and that's what the 305th is. Still wouldn't be 305th students as they have neither the time nor the capability technologically, let alone the training, as they are in training. So they don't even have the skills yet. Students don't work real world anything because most don't have adjudicated clearances, and because they are in training, they don't hold the MOS and therefore can't do the job. And that's true. They can't do it because they don't have the MOS certifications because they're in training. And most of them don't have adjudicated clearances, meaning their clearances haven't gone through. So before I continue, as a reminder, when I was pulling guys in out of units like the 305th, we're pulling in SIGINT G1 analysts, just like we pulled in human intelligence guys from 309s or MI Bullock officers out of 304th, they had to have a clearance in order to work the assignment for Joint Special Operations Command. So the officers typically have the clearance. So even when they graduate, they're usually gone in a couple of weeks. That's why they spend their time. They would come up at lunch for training. The enlisted guys could sit there for four or five months. Now, when it got better, 
that was great. But there was a time where there's a couple people who spent like two years there. So we ended that because it was affecting their careers. But they were there for so long because they didn't have adjudicated clearances. They couldn't even go on the assignment. So if they can't go into an assignment to work a real-world mission, how's a student without a clearance who doesn't even hold DMOS going to do a real-world mission? That just doesn't happen. I went on to write also that pic of the tweet. Now there's apparently a picture of a tweet and whatever I was looking at. It's nonsensical and has no pattern. For example, the second line where it says, Intel analyst from DIA slash NSA. It's one or the other. Analysts don't work for both at the same time. No member of the military would be at hearings, as they say, especially at the state level. If it really had happened, either a report would be created or a senior commander would speak. But when they speak, they tend to go to the congressional level, meaning the United States Congress. They're not going to go speak at a state congress, nor would they be submitted to do so. The military wouldn't let them. If an analyst did speak there, they would be arrested and court-martialed for violating non-disclosures, acts, acts or types of laws and orders. That's definitely true. They wouldn't be allowed to do that. Depending on what they said regarding capability, could easily be charged and convicted of treason, although that's unlikely in this day and age. Also, as a side note, they are not called Kraken, nor has that ever been part of their lineage, history, and model that I can recall. Could be wrong on that one. They could have been called the Kraken at some point. But it came up again. I just saw it today. People talking about the 305th MI Battalion. Now, there's ways things could happen. One way is they have a thing. It's a type of tasker. And they basically find an isolated individual and say, you're going to go on this assignment. And it happens in TRADOC units where they'll pull out somebody who's called cadre, which is either, think of it as somebody who works staff management. If you don't know the military high group, they work in one of the S shops, typically the three. Or it could be an instructor. And they get sent to augment an assignment, but it's going to be an overseas assignment for the only taskers they're available to do. It still would have nothing to do with this. But I just thought it was interesting that this type of thing would come up. And people wouldn't even look into what the unit is or what it does. And if Flynn really came out and backed this up, I'd be really disappointed. I mean, I understand, personally, I understand why the guy's been fired multiple times. Because at his level, you get reassigned when you get fired. There were things that were really good about him and things that were not, apparently. And I never worked for the man. I almost did once. Like, directly for him. But I, I don't know that he actually did that. I, I would be surprised, I guess, but at the same time, maybe not. Maybe he's going to be like this other general. Because McKiernan, for example, the guy's like in his mid-80s. He hasn't had clearance in 20 years. He doesn't have access to any information. So of all the things that's gone on in 20 years and all the things he'll possibly be aware of, the one thing he's going to come up with is this. If you look at some of the other conspiracies he's come up with, you'll understand why this is ridiculous. Not just this, but the whole, the whole thing where... The internet says there's information that in Frankfurt, Germany, somewhere is a CIA location. I'll say that. That much you can find on your own. Presuming that's in fact true, the claim was over these servers that the CIA was essentially providing security for a private technology company, which is ridiculous, number one. Then that American Special Forces went there to get servers that have to do with the election and got in a gunfight with CIA agents. So basically, U.S. military goes up in a gunfight against government agents on foreign soil? I don't think so. And then it was some people got killed, some special forces guys, even though they had died in a completely unrelated incident days earlier. I mean, it was reported like a day or two earlier. There's plenty of information out there on that. And it just, the thing kept falling apart the worse it got. But it was really, really crazy. And, oh, and the best part was Gina Haspel, director of CIA, was apparently there and got killed, although she is alive. And I was thinking like, why would she be there by herself? People at that level have their own security. Why would she be there? There's all kinds of holes in that story. That's why I didn't like go into detail. I just kind of roughed it up. But how do these work to your advantage? Well, one of the things is when you look at conspiracies, the first thing you should be asking is why is it wrong? Not saying it is wrong, but what could make it wrong? Going back to some of the earlier ones I talked about, what's logical about this that would make sense? What would be repetitive about this action if it's happened before that would make sense that would disprove it? Not that you need to disprove it, but when you really look at them, while they need to be proven, it's often easier to disprove them when they're garbage. And a lot of them are. A lot of them are just recycled theories that have come up before. And these exist in all things. It's just I'm using these current events as an example. One of the things to do is, is help you identify the fact that the way they're communicated is this is real and you need to believe it, right? But it's a theory. Like, there's really no evidence out there supporting this. People are calling things evidence, but they're not actually evidence. They're just making statements. They're not providing sources. They're not providing documents that are legitimate. They're not providing much of anything. They're just saying, this is real. You need to believe it. 
Now, people that are real experts in a field where there's a conspiracy theory or have direct knowledge will be like, look, this isn't going to fly. This is, you know, this isn't real. And a lot of times, like for me, if it's in my area, unless somebody really asks me the question or is getting out of control, I don't say anything because I see right through it. And I just let it go because there's no point trying to discuss it all the time. There's just too much of it there. I'll give you another example too, going off that basic one, just because I knew what reality was. I actually wrote this response being sarcastic. I think it's funny. Apparently some people didn't. But the military times or army times came out and basically said, yeah, this whole SF thing's garbage. And somebody made a comment on this forum about how that was just too quick of a response. Must have been prepared, blah, blah, blah. So I said, yeah, because if you count the days, this is totally accurate. I said, yeah, that 17-day turnaround from supposed events to response is just too quick. I can't believe they only waited two and a half weeks. So irresponsible to to suggest the credibility of a disgraced general, which if you look him up, he is a disgraced general, who thinks Malaysia Flight 370 landed in Pakistan or that we should be carpet bombing allies could ever be in question. How could anybody question 83-year-old formal general with no security clearance or access to any information that simply took a known conspiracy theorist retweet that the conspiracy guy, a known this is on Twitter, a known big conspiracy guy, foolishly said there was no evidence and probably wasn't true from a German citizen commenting on a police action that was mistaken for the military regarding a raid on a facility in Frankfurt that doesn't exist because it's in Barcelona. The military time should be ashamed of such reckless use of that 17-day sprint, due diligence, geography, and common sense. Yeah, I was being an ass. But that's kind of how it gets to that point because I chose to get involved in this conversation and got a little little too out of hand. The other one was the one people liked that really shut people down. And I didn't mean to shut people down, but it was just getting out of hand. And they were talking about Gina Haspel being killed and some people wanted a clarification because of how much she knows or whatever. And I'd responded like, I'm really surprised people leave this kind of goofy stuff. But anyway, when whatever the response was, it was pretty direct and aggressive. So I was like, well, so I laid it out for him. Said, so you believe Americans attacked Americans on foreign allied soil to get Dominion servers in Germany that don't exist in Germany, but are actually in Barcelona because a local German tweeted about special forces, not Americans, during an unrelated police action that was shared by a known conspiracy theorist who admitted he had no info and it probably wasn't real. That it was broken by an almost 90-year-old former general with no security clearance or access to information that somehow knew about this one covert action and went public. That it also involved the 305, 305th MI Battalion with a TRADOC unit for 17-year-olds that learn analysts and GUN after basic training. The unit with no assets or capability to do anything described. That is located two miles from where I'm writing this post that I've had consistent almost daily interaction with since 2007. All this from a community I worked in for 20 years until recently, not 20 years ago, plus like this former general. Let's not forget that for some reason, the CIA director decided to go along and was killed. It was now the big cover-up. Of course, my 20-year career directly involved in SOF and Intel across the globe, planning and conducting real clandestine missions with organizations you've never heard of, means nothing compared to your reading of a story with no sources that is being parroted by every illegitimate junk site out there for web hits and click-through rate using the aforementioned worst possible made of facts. Then I made a direct insult after that, responding to one of his, which is adorable. Now, that was not to toot my own horn. Let's just say that's the kind of response you get from people that know what they're talking about on a subject when people get kind of aggressive. And I actually didn't do that to somebody who was getting like overly emotional and just like, you're an idiot, I believe this has to be true. No, it was somebody that seemed like they wanted to know and then got kind of aggressive. And I was like, yeah, you're stupid, which I don't mean to do that to people, but sometimes you have to. And I, for those who watch me on the live shows, have known I've torn people up on the live shows a long time ago, but in the podcast, I definitely don't try to do that. And I don't do it on forums very often anymore, but I did it on the forum because of where the forum is and what the purpose of that location is. And it was getting out of hand and it's still out of hand, but I wanted to shut some of the crazy stuff down and just bring a little common sense to it. So getting back to how these help us, one of the things is, is, as I've said before, I am a conspiracy theory thinker. That's one of the things we do in the intel world. Like there's times where, whether or not this is training or real, I'll say, as I say with everything, there's times where you're looking for Bob the terrorist and that's the only mission we have and we're getting really stuck and not getting anywhere and it's been going on for a while, whether it's hours or days with the team. And it's like, well, let's get our conspiracy hats on 
And let's start thinking crazy because thinking crazy sometimes has helped us find Bob the Terrorist. As we're using, I always say Bob the Terrorist, even if it's a place or location, whatever. So like we need to find Bob the Terrorist. What do we do? So we would go conspiracy stupid. We just couldn't bring aliens into it because that's ridiculous. So looking for Bob the Terrorist, we'd come up with conspiracies. Well, what if Bob has another wife? We know that these types of terrorists have more than one wife. What if it's a wife his family doesn't know about and he spends time over there and that's why we can't track him? And then from there, questions would come up and be like, all right, see what you can find out about that. Basically, we would take a theory and idea posing something we haven't even looked at yet that may be wildly crazy or very rare. And if people think it could be something worth looking into, the person brings it up, then we give them targeted information to go look for. Another one was there was a guy back in 15, 16 years ago in Iraq that was on the target list who had an eye patch that the debate went on for years of whether or not he was real. He could have been a made-up fake person or he could have been a real person or he could have been a real person that died they're claiming was still alive. And then some theories said he never existed, but somebody looked like him and fit the bill later on and they used him to be a real person. And those theories were chased, but later on we had one where somebody said, hey, remember this guy? What if this dude isn't real? Like everything we're doing and every all the information we have says by now we should be able to locate something on him. You know, maybe not find him, but definitely isolate some information. We can't do that. So the idea was there was just too many red flags, red flags being enough logical things we should have been able to find. We couldn't find him. So we're like, all right, let's use that previous example and look into him and figure out maybe this guy isn't real. Or what if we don't actually know who the boss is? I mean, how current is that information? We think this guy's this leader or this person. Maybe he's dead. Maybe we don't know who's fulfilled that position. There's been times where somebody's captured or killed Bob the terrorist. And some of them, I think they're captured, at least a couple I know of, where they actually had no idea they'd been promoted into a position because the previous guy had been removed so quickly they hadn't found out. So those were very real possibilities. And we use conspiracy thinking to kind of come up with this idea. But then... The difference is from somebody who creates a theory, ridiculous or not, people consume that information because we call them the consumer. They read the product, whatever it is. The difference is on the Intel side, then they go after that. So when you're looking at a theory, think of it this way. What if you came up with that theory or in a discussion like I just described? What questions or things you need to chase down to try to prove the theory? Because the thing is, when it comes to these, you got to try to prove them. You can't just take somebody else's word for it that this is, is in fact true information or these are actual facts. And even if they're saying they're facts, you got to chase down those facts. How do they get them? Where do they get them? So using this previous example, even if all you did was look up the 305 MI Battalion on Wikipedia, you could find out what their training mission is. But then like most units, they have Facebook pages with pictures and photos of what they do. There's also open army.mil sites that describe the units. You can find the phone numbers and call them. Not that you should do that. I'm saying there's plenty of information out there. So it's not hard to disprove. But you disprove by going through the process of trying to prove. Not just standing there and come up with theory and go, well, you can't disprove this. Or when people are very emotionally tied to it. A big red flag to any theory is when it's tied to any known current event where a lot of emotions are involved. Even if it's not you, everybody's highly emotionally involved. So using the election as an example, any theory that comes up about the election, true or not, recognize the fact that it's an emotionally charged discussion. Be cognizantly aware of that and figure out how to go after that idea. Not trying to disprove it, but try to prove it. Figure out what information is missing. Remember, intel gaps. What information don't we have? Now there's times where theories that aren't true seem true based on the information we have. Really, when you do an intel assessment, that's all it is, is a theory, and you're doing it based on the picture available. Remember the puzzle discussion I had about the puzzles, how I'd use the puzzle pieces, how we're trying to build a puzzle, build a picture, what's really available. There's a lot of intel assessments that seem very logical at the time. It might only take one good piece of information that's been verified that changes the entire picture. It gives new information, whether it's for what you think it is or completely against it. You know, one example is I... Just took a break because I got a call from David Robertson to DMR Publications, which links to his show or in the show notes. And I was telling him about the show and what I was discussing, and he mentioned chemtrails. Now, I'm not knowledgeable enough on that subject to really discuss it, but one of the more recent things that's come out, and 
you sent me a paper on this I'm going to be reading is kind of the proving and disproving of it at the same time. Like it's verified is very real and what it's for, but through the process of that, they've also disproven some of the more extreme theories about it. Now that's really all I can say because it's not a subject I'm well-versed in. It's never dealt with my work in any way, but it's another example of a known theory. Or like I've talked about the website above topsecret.com, very fun website if you go into it open-minded. I mentioned before how there was three things on there that were pretty accurate. One which was scarily accurate, we looked at reporting and people just got lucky. And they're the ones people tend not to believe. But so many of them are easily, like you can just rip right through them. But the thing about the theories is, is you go after the theory, the idea, the argument. You don't go after the person. So if you try to say, well... You know, why should we listen to you? It's not about listening to the person that provides you the information. It's looking at the information they provide and then looking it up yourself. I mean, like one of the ones I thought was laughable recently just simply said that President Obama had been arrested for treason. Like, really? (laughs) He hasn't been arrested. That's easy to find. Plus, after it came out, he was still giving public speeches. So clearly wasn't arrested. Ones like that are easy to figure out. You know, talking to David, we looked back in discussions we had several years ago on YouTube when Jade Helm was big. There was people that had been recent members of the military that just, as much logic as we could bring to the table, and much of my knowledge and experience in training CONUS, especially large events like that, and showing some historical actions and why it's not what people thought it was, even some of these guys that probably should have known better or realistically may not have been able to know better, got to the point of instead of believing it, just saying, well, they weren't really sure. And then it just came down to some of us saying, well, when it's over, you'll see. What happened? It was over and nobody talked about it anymore because nothing bad happened because it was a training exercise and those things happen all the time. Actually happens with Robin Sage. I don't know if it still happens, but used to. Robin Sage is the name of the final FTF event for people that are trying to be special forces, Green Berets. Happens around a few small towns in North Carolina and some of the locals, they get notified about it. They come out and watch. But when that was first being noticed and talked about years ago, some people went crazy with the conspiracy theories. It's because it's something new. It's an idea people never heard of, something they're not aware that happens, something they think could be bad. The information they see if they don't look into it appears compelling. They're already emotionally invested in it, even if they don't realize it. And they tend to believe them. And here's the thing. You think back to theories, whether it's something you've believed or somebody else has believed, The emotions tied to them are almost always negative, things we don't like or don't want to happen. Or what we read or hear tends to lead us to believe it's going to be something negative. It's very rarely something positive, or if it is, we don't even consider it a conspiracy theory. You know, other things to look at are like big theories involving government or government entities, like some of the ones I talked about today about military and the intelligence community. Well, the thing is, even if somebody comes out and says something that you don't like or could be a conspiracy or becomes a conspiracy that may or may not turn out to become reality one day, is you're never going to have all that information. It's just not released to you. So much of it is classified. There's too much there. There's information they don't want out in the public sector, not because they don't trust our own citizens, but because everything's on the internet these days. Everything's on the news. Other countries see that, so it's protected information, whether you like it or not or agree. So you never have all that information. But people take simple statements people make on the news and turn them into something that they're not. A simple example is any president can come out and say something about gun control, always a hot topic. And then people go off about the president's making laws. Well, they don't make laws. They're not making a law. Well, they're doing this. Well, it's illegal. It happened with President Obama and the ATF, something he wanted to happen. I'm directing the ATF to do this. Well, his job is to manage the departments. One of the departments the ATF belongs to. And guess what? It never happened. Why? His job is to manage those departments. He does it through directives, proclamations, executive orders. And he wrote an executive order. Now, the only thing he's required to do, and this is any president, is can I legally direct a department to do this? It's never about can they do it? Can the department do it? Can I direct them to do it? The answer in that situation was yes, you can direct them. Why didn't it happen? Because as it turns out, when the ATF looked at it and they went through their legal process, they couldn't legally do it. So it didn't happen. Now, granted, other things are happening with the ATF now and things change all the time, but that's just one example. Just because somebody comes out and says something, whether it's a YouTube video or somebody with a name and a position elected or not on a microphone on the news, 
those when you really got to dig into them because people take those statements and turn them into things when nothing's actually happened yet. You know, not that you necessarily need to wait for things to happen, but be very careful with things people say and they turn statements, somebody else turns their statements into some big crazy whatever when there's nothing else to back it up. You got to look for the other things to back it up. It's like right now with the election. A lot of people are talking about a coup. Well, by definition, there's no coup. By definition, a coup d'etat is a sudden, violent overthrow of a government. Okay, well, everything about the coup is about election fraud. That's been talked about for over a year, so that's not sudden. There was no violence involved. I mean, you could look at protesters, but that was unrelated, really, to the election. It was just used to the advantage of the people, you know, for or against whatever side in the election. And the government wasn't overthrown. It means the entire government is overthrown and removed. Now, I don't think it's a revolution, but a revolution would be make more sense is what it would make because that's a large group of people changing their entire country about things like society, socioeconomic, economic, these types of things, all those big crazy words David uses. That's where those come from. So a revolution would make more sense. Revolution doesn't necessarily change the government structure, not entirely, but it can if you look at anything around the world that's been a revolution, it makes more sense it's going that way. If you look at the Arab Spring, that looks like a revolution. Whether or not it's successful, who knows? But that's only if it really is. But a coup, no, that's the wrong term. And terms matter sometimes. There's terms I say all the time in training that it's trivia or it doesn't really matter to what you're learning. But in things like this, you got to look at big words like that and say, well, what's the legal definition of this? Does it make sense that that's what it is? So why do people say coup? It's because they don't know what a coup d'etat really is. They never trained people to perform a coup d'etat. There's plenty of people in the military have trained people to perform coups. They only know what it is because somebody told them it was a coup. They didn't look it up. Or in some cases, now a coup d'etat probably has a very similar dictionary and legal definitions, but some words don't like treason. Like a lot of times when people throw the word treason around, they're using Webster's definition. They're not looking at what a legal definition of treason is. That's why the word treason is misused so often. And the thing is, if a person isn't taking the time to even look up a word to make sure they know the legal definition and the implications of it, they're definitely not taking the time to look up anything on a theory. And at the end of the day, they're taking it at face value. So that's why on the Intel side, we don't do that. We create a theory. We do it sometimes for the means of being stuck and trying to find something new. It's think of it like for those that are athletic out there, you hit a plateau of some type. So you change what you're doing to get past that plateau, whether it's permanent or temporary. It's the same kind of thing. We'd hit a plateau. We'd come up with a theory to change the way we're approaching this problem to try to find our answers. And then we go try to prove it. So when you see a theory, the goal is to try to prove it, not to try to disprove it. Because if you can't prove it, you probably will disprove it or find out the logical answer. Like this whole thing with the naval warships. The conspiracy theory isn't that they're located, most of them, on the perimeter of our country right now at their home bases. That's not a conspiracy because they're there. They are there. If you're close to one, you can go see the ships. The conspiracy theory is why they were there. and Why they were there was repeated. It's happened in the past. People have used that same theory before. But then it turns out that's wrong. It's normal for them to be there. That happens pretty much every year unless they're on mission on an actual deployment, like a wartime mission, or they're on some type of regular deployment mission where they can't get back in time, like the guys that are in Japan right now. And I don't know if they'll be back for Christmas or not. So that's how you got to look at them. They don't have to be disproven. They need to be proven. So try to prove them. And try to identify how emotionally invested are you. What are your own biases, which are going to be your emotions. That's why this really feeds into some of the previous stuff about analysis and information. Avoid things that are high emotionally driven or easily arguable on either side that are focused solely on beliefs and not anything that's a fact that can be proven. You know, like religion, for example, nothing against religion, but some things people go after based on religion, whether it's the Bible or the Quran or something else. Now, whether or not you believe that or it ends up being true one day, That by itself won't be enough to prove or disprove anything. You need other actual information, other documents. You need current information, current things in writing. 
So nothing against religion or those books. Just understand there's other things to look for. Maybe you need to find a way to prove it for what your religious beliefs are. And that gives you the way in to start looking at the facts and information to figure out how these are playing out. Have they happened before? What logically makes sense here? Are there people that are known experts in the field? Not people that claim that they are, but people that's verifiable. You know, that's why I don't, I always say this, but this is why I don't talk about cars. I'm not a car guy. I talk about Intel. I talk about the military. I talk about everything in the gray man concept because that's my area of expertise, one of them. You know, I don't do shows on tactics and things because there's plenty of people that do it. There's nothing unique about it realistically. I'm better at it in person. I would hate to just do a podcast on it myself. And there's plenty of guys out there that do it better than me and a whole bunch more that don't. So I hope you enjoyed this. I will, as a reminder, be doing these upcoming shows on understanding, establishing a baseline on people. Another one that's going to be a long show like this one will be the second round of the intelligence networks, What we where we can go from there. So as a reminder, if you're into that, make sure you go back and listen to the first one on intelligence networks that's back within the last five or ten podcasts because I will be continuing from there. It's one where you'll need to listen to the first one or listen to it again. And I will be doing a couple of others. I don't have my notes in front of me, but the ones I mentioned on my last episode before the break, I'm definitely going to be doing those. So those will be upcoming episodes. I hope you enjoy this. Definitely check out the show notes. Listen to David's podcast. I've missed him for the last three weeks. And get those questions ready and send them to me. Because everything I've talked about today, most of it's come from a question. Because I just like when I talked about Evan Hafer. People ask me, what's your thought on the conspiracy about Black Rifle Coffee Company? And that was my answer that I gave you. And I will mention this. At the end of the day, I don't give a fuck who that guy donates money to. I like his coffee and he's a cool dude. And I don't even know him. So that there's that. But that's just my opinion. It may not be yours. Thank you for listening. We're going to have more shows for you here soon right here on Gray Man, Hiding in Plain Sight.